Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Binaural Production Engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, Monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And monthly co-host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Valerie Georgeson, and she has written a book called God the Devil, and Me, The Chronicles of a Seeker of God. And this is a biographical expose. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me today. So, um, you know, looking over the uh, um, description of the book, and uh, it looks like uh, it's a very interesting story you have to share with us today. Um, I am kind of Sorry that you had to go through this experience, but it certainly looks like it makes for an interesting story. Um, well, you have to live it before you write it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, I guess tell me how you ended up in this situation. <laughs> because, like the subtitle says, Chronicles of the Seeker of God, um, because I was and am a seeker. And a seeker is, well, I think really basically it's all of us, but some are seeking harder than others. But it, do you know what I mean by seeker? Yeah, absolutely. Mm, that, that pain almost in, in your heart, when you look at something beautiful or when you, you look on a newborn baby, an animal, anything, and it, tugs at your heart and you feel such pain. You look at a sunset and tears fall. And why is that? It's because what you're looking at isn't going to last. And human beings have searched from the beginning for something that keeps on, that stays alive, that doesn't fade, the unchanging. Mm -hmm. And that's what seekers of God are after. And well, you can call it what you like. I, I sometimes call it, we're looking for the other, but the ultimate other. And you can call it God. You can call it ultimate other. You can call it other things, I guess. But it's what we're all seeking for. Um, and I'm not unusual in that by any means. But some people seem to be born with a stronger sense of seeking than others. I don't know why, but it's how it is. And it's actually, it, it becomes a, a two-way thing because when you are searching for the ultimate other, the ultimate other starts to tug at you. <laughs> <laughs> it goes in both directions. Oh, and you feel this, this pain in the pit of the heart e even more. So... This is what the story is, and it is really, in effect, it could be any one of us. You know, there's a lot of us about. 
Well, that, that, that is absolutely true. I, I understand exactly what you are talking about. But not all of us are willing to go to the lengths of going to India and following a guru like you did. Mm. Well, <laughs> we're going to talk about cults. And what, what happened to me was I got involved with a cult and paid for it very dearly. Um, if, you're, if you're seeking God, you're on your own so much. And, and you feel you're the only person seeking. And you, you want other people who are like you. you. You need to relate to others. And another thing, every trap, every mouse trap only works if it has a piece of cheese in it. <laughs> the piece of cheese is a truth in this case. And most of these gurus, they have some truth in what they're saying. And if you fall for that one thing, then you, unfortunately you're in the trap. And that's what's happened to so many people. Since the pandemic started, I heard not long ago that the French president found that 500 new sects had grown up since the pandemic started. And he's put more money into the organization that deals with it. So they're popular, you might say, and yet not popular because they do unimaginable harm to people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, so how did you find this particular guru? Did they have people scouting, you know, people in the area that you've lived in, or did you travel to find this person? No, it was it was a contact. It was uh, I was working as an actress and a writer at the time, and uh, a producer I knew introduced me to a lady who had been in a cult and got into all sorts of difficulties. And now she'd found another one, a different one. And this one was a woman who called herself Mataji or mother. And she was very keen to, to get me involved. And I, I wasn't sure. In fact, I think during the whole of my time involved with this cult, I wasn't sure. 100% by any means. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer. There's a bit of me is always outside, detached, taking notes on everything, <laughs> mental notes. And I was like that. So I was always questioning. And most people don't seem to question. You're told to sit in front of the photograph of this woman and you're supposed to then feel the vibrations and you'll feel better, you'll be healed, you'll be all sorts of things. And it will ultimately, it's the, the Hindu spiritual energy, Kundalini, that they're talking about. It will rise up and you will be united with God. You will be one with the one you're seeking. So, I mean, this is a, a great promise, but whether that really happens or not, if you're doing this, if you're trying to 
contact God through this woman, then it's it's like um, having a. I'm trying to think of the word for it. The the adapter. You plug into the adapter instead of the mains, mm-hmm. so everything goes via her, and that's where the tricky bit comes. That's where you get caught up in this sect instead of being united to God. I remember very clearly what triggered um, my difficulty with this lady. It was, I felt I was losing my link with God. And so I spoke to her telepathically. I was able to do that with her a lot. And I said to her, give me back my desire for God. And that triggered a monstrous attack on me. And that's, it spoke volumes, really. <laughs> um, I was doing the right thing. I'd recognized, A, that she wasn't God, thank you very much. Hmm. But also that she was actually distracting my search for God hmm. and taking it to her so that she would own me. Right. Um, what, what type of attack did she launch against you? In, like, were other people involved with it? Yes. Yes, they were. They were told ordered to do certain things, much as Putin orders um, his generals to do things. Mm-hmm. It was. It's a. It, there's a great similarity with what's happening in Russia. Actually, it, it's a very cultish scenario where people believe what the leader says and don't question it, and everybody else is telling lies. And it's like that in in any sect. Uh, what they did was they summoned my husband and told him that I was a dreadful, dangerous woman, that he would get cancer because of me. Uh, You would not believe the things they said. But one of the things they said helped us. Though my husband was struggling at the time because he was caught up in this and he was struggling to do what she said but didn't want to and didn't think it was right. And they said something which really helped us a lot, and it wasn't meant to. And it was, you are Valerie's sex slave, (laughs) which we thought was so hysterically funny that we both burst out laughing. Mm -hmm. And every time we were feeling really awful and dreadful things were happening, and um, we just had to think of that to burst out laughing all over again. So it, got, it helped to get us through. But I had slander poured over me like bucket loads of sewage. And uh, they tried to split Marsman from me. They took away his daughter. <laughs> it was It was just so dreadful. They tried to tell me that I was basically rubbish. I should withdraw all my books from the shops. She wanted me to stop writing. She was afraid of me as a writer. She knew that I wasn't 100% with her at any point. And she knew that on page one of the book, the scene is there in God, the Devil and Me, where I'm in Canterbury Cathedral at something like 25 years old, and the voice says to me, one day you will write a book for God. And she knew that, and she knew what it was better than I did. And eventually I did write that book, and this is it. 
but she told my husband, I can stop her writing. Well, she couldn't do that, but she did silence my voice. She tried to get in the way of all the work I did, all the people I worked for. It was a, a constant battlefield with her, but on the level of the occult, of magic, she was doing, we knew she was capable of it, doing extraordinary things like that. And it was tough going, very tough going. So you, we got through. So, so can you tell me a little bit about the dynamics of this cult? Like, do they live in a commune? Um, do they have, are they, are they all around the country? Um, you know, what are some of their beliefs and what do they promise their followers? <laughs> Well, there were a lot, and there still are, a lot of ashrams around, places where people lived in, in common. But I wasn't able, even if I wanted to, which I didn't, I wasn't able to live in an ashram because I was a writer. I needed the space and the peace and quiet on my own to get on with my work, as simple as that. And it was a very good excuse, a truthful excuse. And uh, it saved us because my poor husband ended up with nothing but the clothes he was standing up in. And uh, I had a house, you know. I was able to get us through. Um, what they promised is, well, union with God, the... We'd save the earth, the planet, and really nice things <laughs> that you would like. But it was all, it was all rubbish, actually. Hmm. Um, how about the other followers? Um, like how many other followers does she have? I have no idea. I'm going to ask my husband, who's right beside me, mm -hmm. because he might know better than me. Mm. A few thousand. Mm. It's, a um, it, it's a global, a global cult. Um, you, you were always flying off here, there, and everywhere to pujas, the the celebration, which in her case it was really worship of 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 her, is what the puja was always about. It's a Hindu celebration, but it was. You know, the adapter was working and she was the one who was being worshipped as the goddess. And they could take place anywhere in the world and everybody was supposed to just drop everything, get on a plane and go to it, spend the weekend there. And uh, it was a very expensive, actually. <laughs> and you didn't see anything of the country you saw the room that you were sharing with who knows how many other people, and you'd be lucky if you had a bed. And uh, you, you got to know people. There were some really good people. Um, some people that we would count on as friends, and it's very sad to have had to lose touch with them because we had to cut all links with the cult, with everybody in it, because you can't trust anybody who's in it. Hmm. So how does she benefit from it? Does she 
collect money from the followers or did he give everything up to her to follow her? How does it work? She's after power. She's after being in control of everybody. That's basically it. She she did make money. She got palaces out of it. <laughs> there's there's one in, in the Savoie in France, and they, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a big house in Cambridge that we used to use. We were all, all expected to contribute to the buying and renovation of it. And uh, she she did have things given her, but mainly it was about power, total control of everybody. And uh, we kind of reeled out of that thing. Did she ever ask her followers to do things that weren't right? You know, sort of like, um, you know, like, like something you know, like, like Charles Manson type of stuff? Well, one of the things that she did do was uh, to set up the kidnapping of Gavin's, my, my husband's daughter. Uh, that was that was dreadful. She had been away for a year that they'd taken her from us, and we managed to get her back. She was very traumatized, and she had been brainwashed during this time into believing I was a dreadful witch that wished her to die and to steal her her imagined fortune. And we knew we had a job ahead of us. But she was spirited away from us. And uh, I wanted to call the police, but my husband didn't, didn't want that because he felt it would traumatize her more. So we had to go to law. But it's because of that that I got down to writing the book because I started writing God, the Devil and Me at that point in order to sell our story to the newspapers. The idea was to get the money to run a legal case to get mm. her back. And the minute they got the letter from the solicitor, they literally threw her at us. Mm. And from that moment on, it was just, it was a hard road helping her to normalize. So, I don't think she ever got over it, really. Like, how did they take her? Where did they take her? What did they do to her? Well, she had relatives in the sect. So she went to relatives. I, I don't want to say who or anything right. oh, more sorry. detailed because mm -hmm. I, I try to protect the identity of people because what they did was not their fault. It was hers. You know, they were not responsible in a sense right they should have been perhaps but you know there, there's an excuse there mm -hmm. and so I, I try to I try to keep them their identity private okay was there any type of brainwashing or mind control that they were trying to use yes there was um, looking back you can see it very Clearly, there was things like, I remember in India, there was in the evening, going on far into the night, we had to sit on the ground and listen to and sing Indian songs, bhajans. And we were all half asleep. 
And it's at that moment that it's very easy for something to come into your mind and to start taking over. And it is, I believe, a known brainwashing technique. And I think it was happening in India on that trip. There's there's all of the, well, prayers, you could call them, endless prayers. But it's more... It's more the devotion than anything else. So that you, it, there's a suspension of disbelief that what she says has got to be true because she said it. She creates the truth, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So you believe it. I remember one lovely girl that I'd looked after as a daughter, really, and she believed the rubbish that was said about me. Because if Mataji said it, then it must be true. <laughs> it's, and it's a way of just, if you've given away that part of yourself, which is standing back, taking notes, which is questioning, then you really are a sitting duck. <laughs> right. I can see that happening. Um, with the worship, like, you, you mentioned, like, you know, you sit in front of a picture of her. And, like, and I yeah. know that's a common practice in Hinduism where you have a particular guru and you have their picture and you meditate on the picture. Um but who is she in contact with? Is she like in contact with like Krishna or someone like that? She thinks she is Krishna and Ganesha and <laughs> almost anybody you think of, the Virgin Mary, you know, the Holy Spirit. She 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 is God. Um happily she died some time ago, and it is to be hoped that the cult has Calm down, shall we say, that they're not as aggressive as, as they used to be. Because if somebody says anything like I'm doing today, in, in the past, there would be reprisals, really. People, people in a cult are on the wrong side of a mirror. It's like you pass through the mirror to the side where everything's reversed. Black is white, night is day, lies are truth, truth are lies. It's like that. And everything outside it is hell. It's negative. It's, it's dangerous. And people who get out of the cult sometimes don't have the courage to jump through the mirror. I thought at that time... If this is heaven, I don't like it and I don't belong here. So I jumped (laughs) Mm. and everything reversed back. (laughs) It was quite extraordinary, actually. But there are people who get stuck in the mirror, can't jump either way. And they're in a very bad situation, um, ending up in psychiatric hospitals or committing suicide. They really 
need a lot more help than than they get. Because I, I don't believe that many psychologists really understand the psychology of cults and what happens to people's thought processes and feelings. Hmm. Um, also, you mentioned them using uh, like occult, occult practices and things like black magic. Hmm. So, um, can, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, what you know, what techniques you may have been using, and um, how it affected the group? Well, the occult was uh, for 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 the devotees. We, we used to have to call them. Um, for them, it was a, a case of one occult pro- practice is, for instance, putting a circle on your hand with the other hand and putting the name of a person who's maybe troubling you um, in the middle, and then it's it should be dealt with. And I, I didn't know it was an occult practice myself until one day I was... I was suffering a lot of attacks. You you really have to read the book. I can't give you chapter and verse. There was so much happened, but it's all in God, the devil and me. And I used to keep uh, a journal all the time. And, you know, I've I've got chapter and verse on it all. And one day I, I did a circle on my hand and put her in it. And it was... It was terrifying. I I can't tell you the pain that went through my head. The, I was in a dreadful state for a couple of days and I heard a voice and I believe it was the Lord Jesus. And he said, must you meddle? <laughs> oh God, what have I done? And... Um, I eventually got rid of it. It was, in fact, an attack by a demonic spirit. And I got rid of it. And I learned a lot about dealing with demonic attacks uh, from an exorcist who helped for two or three years. Wonderful chap. Um, He was a priest. And uh, he, he taught a lot of kind of the kind of techniques you can use to avoid or send back attacks like you, you can call on there's a law called the law of rebound you cast your bread on the waters you'll get it back again threefold or whatever it is mm-hmm. well it's like that you can call on that law in distress and ask that it rebound whatever attacks coming in like that one mm. and it does. It it goes off and rebounds on the person who sent it. So uh, she didn't realise what a fight she was going to have with me, but I fought very hard, and my husband did too. And our, our life was a battle for years, really years. At what and the, you know, sorry. Mm-hmm. The, the, do go on. It's all right. Uh, I was going to say, like, like, at what point did you realize um, that this was a cult and you wanted out of it? Was it when he took your daughter, or is it when them taking your daughter is a result of you like deciding that you didn't want to be a part of this anymore? More of the second. 
really. That I, I was really quite early on, um, I really just married my husband and he was, he was in a state that I've heard somebody describe it as Mataji castrates the men. <laughs> and that's because she t- takes away their independence and the men aren't supposed to think. And the men are supposed to be her son first and your husband, if at all, afterwards. And that's how the men are treated. Uh, he, he was at her beck and call the whole time. And I had work to do because I was the, I was earning our, our daily bread. And there was one weekend when we were supposed to dash off to a puja up at this house, this big house in Cambridge. And I didn't want to go. And my husband knew it would, it would be trouble if I didn't do the right thing and go. But I wanted to get on with my work. And so he went on his own. And she said to him, Tell Valerie it's not so easy to get out of Saja Yoga. She was so right. <laughs> it's not easy at all because it's not just walking out and not going to meetings and Buddhas and whatever it is anymore. It's something to do with rewiring your brain. It's something so deep in your psychology that it's it's very very hard hmm. but she already knew that i was not happy and that was quite early on i'd only been two years i think something like that sort as you might say a member of, of the cult so how did you get yourself out did you have to find somebody to help you well I had support of family and friends, and of course, I had my husband. He's the only person on the planet, I think, who who knew what I was going through. He was going through it too. We were able to talk to one, one another, to compare notes, to to have a united front. And... We really became a very solid union without him I, I and, and him without me would have been in a lot more trouble. It made us strong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, family and friends could only go with you so far because if you've not been in there, you, you can't really imagine what it's like. <laughs> right. Um how about the priest that assisted you, who explained mm. this rebound law? The priest, well, he, he's a very good man. He's very old now, and he's, he's, he's in a, a retirement nursing home. But he helped an awful lot of people, because uh, people do have problems, and as he discovered himself... There's a lot of, well, there's a lot of magic practice in the countryside. I live in France and there's, there's a lot going on that doesn't appear on the surface. 
and he helped people who were having trouble and they thought it was because somebody had done something on the magic level. But he understood what had happened to us remarkably well. And he would seek out where attacks were coming from. I mean, attacks were either mental or physical or sometimes one after another. You know, the, you could be being attacked in a very physical way, like the head headache I told you about, uh, where there's the most violent, impossible pains straight through the head, like lightning crossing. And I, re I remember one night, um, fairly early on, when I had the most dreadful night, and it felt like I was being whipped with electric cables. That's the nearest I can get to telling you what it felt like. And I, I asked the Virgin Mary to, to help me, and she did. And she ended it. And next morning, I have an icon of the, it's a Russian icon of, of the Virgin Mary. And I just went to say, thank you. And Mary said, she doesn't like you very much. <laughs> oh, Lord, yes. There is humor in heaven. <laughs> you never said anything to her. <laughs> Mm. Wow. Um, so how did you get in contact with this priest? Did you seek him out? Is he, is he somebody that you knew? It, it happened, really. You? It happened because it was, it, we come back to Mary, because Mary helped my husband and me hugely. We had an experience of Mary's presence when we were in Venice. We both had the same experience. And we, we had gone into a church to look at some paintings and I didn't look at them. There was a, like a magnetic pull coming from the other side of the church. And looking across, I could see a statue, a very ordinary statue of the Virgin Mary, but it was pulling me. And I went over and my husband followed me and stood in front of her and I was, I was in tears and I, I said to her, please forgive me for what I'd done getting involved with this cult. And she said, of course I forgive you. I love you. And both my husband and I felt this sweep of cool air that just circled us round and round like a spiral. It was extraordinary. When my husband turned to, to, to go, I thought, oh, well, I'll follow him. I didn't want to leave the statue, but I thought, well, you know, I guess I've been given this grace and it should be enough already. So I followed him and... It was like she was flying over my head, calling out, I love you, I love you. And it was that unconditional love, which it showed us the way, because we never got that in this cult. 
who was she claimed to be all love, but she was anything but. She was the opposite Mataji. So Mary showed us the way. She stayed with me for two years. She did actually she did amazing things. When the cult had big meetings at the Albert Hall, they were advertised in advance, hoping to draw new people, new devotees in. I prayed her to protect the people of London, because it was obviously, we were in London at the time, um, from Masaji. And the night of the meeting, there was a bomb scare, and the entire tube network went down. Nobody could get to the meeting. There was to be another meeting the next night, and I prayed again. This night, one station was closed. It was the one by the Albert Hall. And, <laughs> and Mataji, we could feel her being so angry. And she said to one of the Sajogis who actually came out and reported that she had said that my husband and I were blocking the growth of Saj Yoga in the UK. So we thought, oh, great, I'm <laughs> glad about that. But she'd, she wanted to get rid of us. And she opened an ashram in, in our little area of London, which uh, was meant to flush us out, you know, they would be sending wonderful vibrations that we'd be sort of, we'd have to get away from it. But, of course, it didn't succeed at all. And anyway, Mary mm -hmm. stayed with me, and eventually I was, I used to visit any church I passed and go to the, the shrine, the statue, whatever it was at Mary. And she would always be there for me. And then one day I went into a church in Soho, it was, and I looked and there was nothing. There was only a Pieta near the entrance, Mary with the dead Christ over her lap in her arms. And I didn't want to look at it. I, I, I didn't want all that pain and suffering and the crucifixion and all that. I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. But she made it clear that that is where I had to go next. And she took a step back after that. And it was all to do with the connection with Jesus himself. And he took me on a, a journey in which I learned I had to pray for the people in the cult. I had to forgive them and pray and pray and pray for them. And I had to write this book. I was keeping journals. And it's all there. And it's all in God, the devil and me. And uh, I became... I became, evidently, I became a Catholic because that's where Mary had taken me, not for any other reason. But I was told by a, a priest who came from the Netherlands 
that what, what I had been looking for was imminent God, that is to say God with us. And so far, all I'd been able to get near was God transcendent, God up there, you know, still at the other, the ultimate other. And in the Eucharist, it's certainly in the Catholic Church, but sometimes in, in others, there is the presence of Christ. And my husband and I both felt during the Eucharist, we felt the Holy Spirit come down on the blessing of the, 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 I'm trying to think of the English word. I'm used to French these days. Sorry. <laughs> um, the wafers mm-hmm. and to, to bless them and Christ's presence entering into them so that when you take communion, you are actually, indeed, eating the body of Christ. And when people went up to take communion, something said to me, this is what you need, girl. (laughs) And my husband had the same experience. We needed this. We'd better do something about it. And so we we both, in the end, became Catholic. Now Now my husband's a deacon. So he serves at the Lord's altar instead of Matajis. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very neat turnaround, really. Mm. And uh, there are, there are several neat turnarounds like that. The Lord sorting things out. <laughs> so, mm. what was your uh, um, original religion, your upbringing? Um, well, I would I would say it was. Not anything in particular. I was baptized in the Anglican Church. Um, I was seeking for God as a very young child. And well into my adolescence, I was reading Buddhist books. I was very attracted to Buddhism. And uh, I went to a, a kind of congregational church, a bit like Presbyterian, with my mother when she went there. But... There was something that wasn't reaching me. Mm. And um, then I, I tried the Quakers, and I loved the Quakers. I loved that communal silence. It's right. absolutely fantastic. Um, so I, I tried that, and it was great. But then this lady was introduced to me, and I was given the photo of Mantegi, and I moved off in that direction then. But it, my, my childhood was, was not religious, but I did teach myself to meditate. I remember doing that when I was still in grammar school. So I was on my own, basically, and seeking others like me. <laughs> right. Um, so how are things, like once you um, had your experience with Mary and then Mary backed away, is that when you connected more with Jesus? Yes. And what was that? That like? was that was the point. That was the point. That's why she I mean, she was always there if I needed her. But she wasn't at my side in the same way. Mm-hmm. Now it was now it was Jesus. It's the Lord. And uh he he took me in hand. <laughs> um I was also really very blessed with being given a year's retreat in life in which 
you do Ignatian exercises, looking at gospel stories and seeing where you fit into it. And that was very helpful to me. It, I, I began to really find where I was and where I was in relation to Jesus. And it, it, it really got me on my feet, that, and I'm very grateful for it. I wish my husband had had the same <laughs> privilege because it was a privilege. Mm -hmm. But it, it, most things came from meditation and prayer. And it was hard work, really, but it's all in the book. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yes. It's very hard sometimes for me to remember it all. There was so much. Um, with the cult, like, 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 was she, like, you know, like in the movies when people are involved with something that's demonic or whatever, and somebody pulls out a crucifix and the person re has an adverse reaction to it. Was there anything like that that happened? No, but I remember one or two demonic attacks where there was a definite reaction. <laughs> yes, yes, but. I mean, I, I learned very early on that you must never be afraid. Not ever, no matter how unpleasant, nasty, threatening, painful it is. And that you don't need to be respectful. Don't be polite. Just, you know, tell whatever it is. It has no right to be there and it should off. <laughs> <laughs> no, in certain terms, because you need to be angry, not afraid. Mm. Because it doesn't, it does not, you, if you respect, if you are polite, you're giving power to what's attacking you. So I would advise anybody to just be angry. Um, like, how did the demonic attacks? manifest like was it something that you felt heard saw any or all of those things yes still getting the odd ones my book is not popular in a certain department so it does say god the devil and me mm -hmm. <laughs> on the title so i'm only the little me at the end and who's between me and god guess who <laughs> Um, it's, it's all there in the title and, and the picture on the front, which is a, a Christ pulling souls out of hell. Hmm. That's the picture on the front, and he, that's what it's about. Hmm. So mm. the, the, the devil, like, what is his role in this? I mean, are we talking about the, the Satan, that the fallen angel, that... Um, Devil, or are we talking about just negative forces in general? I'm absolutely certain that there is a devil, a master devil, if you like. Um, I don't like talking about it much. I will say why. It's because I've learned you have to be careful not to open doors, to be concerned not only for yourself, but to other people, like you, for instance. You should not open doors to let 
to let in what you've managed to keep out. But the devil has appeared to me in several forms, and I, I won't describe them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. But, you know, sent off pretty quickly, like holding up the St. Benedict cross and telling, telling it to be off. <laughs> and, uh, disappeared. But I've, I've had so many experiences and I know that you have to be very discerning, very discreet. It's, it's, it's not something to, to dwell on really. Forgive me, but there's good reason for what I'm saying. Right. Um, so the, does that mean if there's a devil, that there is also a heaven and hell and that damnation for eternity is a real thing? To be honest, I have no idea. (laughs) Um, I I think it's much simpler and more complicated than human beings have worked out, but I don't know. I'm just another human being. And uh, I, I do know that people do continue to exist in some way after they die because I've been visited by a few um, and uh, been able to talk with them. Uh, Not that I've sought it, but they've come to me. Uh, There was one lady in our village who had died sitting in her armchair the night before and some very strange things started happening. We didn't know this lady and we didn't know that she had died and things started jumping off a train. I thought, well, that's weird. And then a neighbor came in and told us about the lady. I wonder. I went and I I just sat myself in front of a small statue we had at the time of Mary and asked, can I be useful here? And Mary was with me, so it was safe. And she was, this lady was immediately there. And she was completely lost. She she said, I don't know what's happened to me. Am I in heaven or am I in hell or what? And the strangest thing was, she didn't speak a word of English. She was French. And it didn't matter what language either of us spoke, we understood each other. And I just had to explain to her that, yes, she had died and somebody would come to help her and take her on wherever she needed to go. And there was this incredible feeling of sadness. I said she had to let go everything in this life now. And she was so sad. But the day of her funeral, she was long gone. We did know a chap called Eddie Burks who helped us a lot. Not long before this happened. Mm -hmm. And Eddie was, well, he was a psychic who was called in by Coots Bank, amongst other people. The RAF called him in because they were having trouble. And it turned out that there were people who had died 
Um, it was the Earl of Norwich, I believe, in Cootsbank's case. He was burnt at the stake, am I right? Um, Duke of Norwich. Duke, Duke of Norwich. Yes. Oh, sorry. And he was burnt at the stake um, very close to Cootsbank. And he was not resting in peace, and Eddie was brought in to deal with it, and he did. And the same with the RAF. There was a young pilot who'd come down and had been killed, and he was causing trouble. He, You know, it, 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 it's like anybody saying, Oi, I'm here. <laughs> I need a bit of help. And, and Eddie, Eddie really helped an awful lot of people. It was extraordinary. And he helped us. Um, but we, we learned from him when, so that when this lady had died in the village, I had an idea how to help, just what to do. Very simple, you know, just to recognize trouble that lost, who just needed a little hand just to move on. That's and she moved on. So, so you're so so since all this experience, you have the ability to help uh, spirits move on to the other side that are having difficulty. Well, I I I guess I do. I think we probably any any of us do. But, uh, it's not something I seek, and it doesn't happen to me very often. I must say, it, it's it's a rare thing. It's it, it's not my thing, if you like, but mm -hmm. it has happened. Mm. Wow. Um, so how long has it been since you've been involved with this cult? Since we got out. Wait, how many years ago was that? It's a long time now. Yeah. It must be 30 years. Wow. Yeah, um, it's a long time. And it's taken me all this time to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> And, and since then, is like, like, is everything back to normal? Is your daughter okay? You and your husband okay? And the rest of your family? My husband's okay. Um, the relationship with my stepdaughter never really recovered from what happened. She was only nine when they took her away and were telling her how awful I was. She was actually... At one point, she was taken by somebody in the cult, by car, to the centre of London, where they parked, and the lady dictated a letter to Gavin's, to, to, to my husband's daughter. And the letter was couched in Indian phrases, and it was saying that she was in danger from me, that she would be found dead in a ditch one of these days and all sorts of stuff. And she was told to copy it out and give it to her uncle. And her uncle believed every word of it. Mm -hmm. And my husband saw the letter because he showed it to him. I was not allowed to see it. I mean, if you do that to a child, how's it going to be for the relationship? Right. 
terrible. Step stepchildren and step parents. It's a difficult relationship in the first place. Mm -hmm. But to be brainwashed into believing that your stepmother is a piece of rubbish. With well, I, I I don't want to really repeat some of the stuff that they said, but that she is to be rejected at all costs, got rid of, then it's not going to have good results. And I, I did my best to be a good mother to her. I really, really did. And there were moments when it was okay, but we never really recovered. Mm. Never. Sorry to hear that. And that is so sad. I think it's the hardest thing that happened. It's not her fault. No. Definitely not her fault. But the people who used her to attack me, that is hard to forgive. Yeah, absolutely. It's abuse of the child as well as me and the father. So, sorry, that one, I'm afraid, gets me. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, do all these Indian gurus operate the same way, or are some of them legit, or all of them bad? Well, I dare say there's one or two legitimate spiritual people who counsel others, um, but there's an awful lot aren't. Every cult is basically the same. I've, I've learned that. I, whether it's a terrorist group, whether it's a spiritual type cult, or whether it's a political activist group, and there's a lot of different kinds of cults in the world. There are thousands of cults. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable, really. But they're all basically following the same structure of manipulation and of power over the people who are in it. I mean, there have been some good books written about it, and um, Eileen Barkert in Form has been very helpful to us in understanding these things. In Form is a, well, I don't know if it's still government-funded, but it certainly was um, a, a group who were looking at, into cults and giving information to to people who were worried about it. So... Yeah, they they they're they're all the same, no matter what title they give themselves. And uh, I mean, this you've heard of the Moonies. Yeah. There's all and there's things like the Exclusive Brethren. I read about recently. There's there's lots. Some of them are purport to be Christian. Mm -hmm. Yoga was basically Hindu. But it claimed to incorporate all religions into the one to become the one great religion of the world. That's what it claimed. Right. You'll have to look at the website. <laughs> hmm. They've got a website. I'll have to check it out. Well, um, so, I mean, I think it's really good that you wrote this book to bring, you know, to tell your story and give people the awareness about these cults and how they operate. Mm. And how mm. you were able to escape it. 
to help people who are in that situation and also help people to not end up in that situation. Yes, that's what I'm hoping for. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. I'm not, I didn't write it for me, believe me. I didn't want to write it. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> but there you are. I had it to do. It was a job to uh-huh. be done. Mm. So before we wrap this up, I want to thank you for being on. And can you tell my listeners where the best place for them to find you and to find your book is? Oh, um, well, we have got a, a blog. It's gd m at blogspot.com um, and also the O Books webpage, John Hunt Publishing Limited, who is the publisher of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, they told me that anybody who wants to get in touch can get in touch via them. So O Books. What? Yes. Oh, look on Amazon. Yes, the, there's a web page there on on Amazon on on my web page. Okay. I forgot about that one. <laughs> well, I, I I will put the links to those in the notes of this episode, so my listeners can get your book and and maybe if they want to get in touch with you, they can get in touch with you too because they might need your help. Yeah, yeah. If they're if they're involved, that family member or them themselves are involved in the same situation that you found yourself in. Glad to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on and talking with me today. Thank you, It was Gary. a pleasure. And hang on for one moment. Oh, I play the outro. Thank you very much, Gary. Really appreciated it. You're welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs>